Welcome back to the Opportunity Knocks podcast. This is yet another one of those episodes that was so overly full of content that we decided to split it into two pieces to make it more manageable for you, our insanely passionate and loyal listeners. So we appreciate you taking the time. Get ready to meet Chef Jonathan. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Opportunity Knocks, the podcast to help bring you ideas, insight, show you some of the opportunities, successes, and failures that entrepreneurs uh, experience, suffer from, and deal with on a daily basis in order to hopefully help you aspire to bigger and better ideas and maybe not make a few of the same mistakes that many of us have along the way. Today, we have a fantastic guest. Again, one of those things I say every episode. Every, they're all fantastic. But this guy is a character and interesting personality and another one of those relationships that connected through the wonderful world of Instagram. Correct. Today's guest is... Somebody who started out in college as an aspiring entrepreneur, stumbled into the media business, eventually ended up in the food business, and has appeared on such TV shows as Chopped, where he competed, uh, has won multiple Best of Long Island awards for several different, uh, or, or has been nominated at least for multiple Best of Long Island awards for multiple areas within the food industry as a chef. Um, is a former restaurant owner, so we, we can commiserate about some of those things, being Correct. that I've gone down that path as well, um, and, and just has become a, a, a media, you know, I'm going to use the word, but it, he's become a media superstar. This is a guy who understands marketing, understands business, how to put the two together, take a niche that you love, and make something special out of it. So today's guest is the one and only chef, Jonathan Sinto, from right here in, on Long Island. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming Thanks in. Thanks for having us today. me. Yes. Yeah, it's been, it's been a long time coming. We had this schedule to literally shoot probably two or three days after the whole COVID shutdown happened yeah. here on Long Island. Yeah. Uh, so here we are six months later, and you know what? We've stayed in touch. We've watched each other evolve a little bit, and I think that shutdown actually will create for an even better conversation about how, as a business owner, we've evolved. Absolutely, yeah. So, again, thank you so much for coming in and doing this. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you. I'd love for you to walk me through your process, going back to what your mindset was back in the day when you were in college and what you saw your path look like and how it evolved where you found the new opportunities and seized those opportunities to make something that seems to continually be growing for you since then. Sure. So it was a, an interesting transition, to, to say the least. When when I was in high school, uh, wasn't probably the the sharpest student out there. Uh, but we we've got that in common, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> I, I was always told you have a lot of potential. Yeah. You never have applied yourself. I was always the first one done with tests. Um, things just came naturally to me. I, I've never studied for anything in my entire life. It's just one of those things. I pick things up super fast. So when I was coming out of high school. I really wasn't sure the exact thing I was going to take in school, but I was really gifted in art. Okay. My grandfather uh, was a well-known artist for the Journal of America back in, in the 50s. Very good. Uh, he was the main guy. So I guess that's where I got my, my artistic talent from. I was recruited by Disney out of high school to go into their animated program. So they take people. Yeah. They don't have that currently, but we're going back like 20, okay. God, like 93, 27 years ago. All right. So I was out of that and i just didn't feel like going through something like that i just didn't feel like it was going to be for me you know stuck in a dorm room type of setting right at high school where you're just in the studio every single day drawing and drawing right. and drawing i just did it because i was good but i didn't see a career of okay. something like that 
So my father, who was a, a teacher in the same high school I went to, said, you have to find something to do. You, you have to go to college. So we went on all the tours of all the different you know, colleges that you do, yep. the, the college events and, and things like that. And I found uh, University of Hartford. They offered me a scholarship for my art. So I went there for one year. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out. An 18-year-old being away from your parents, you know, things happen. Uh, so I, I came back and I took off a year from school. But at the time when I was in Hartford, that's when the entrepreneurial juices started flowing. Okay. And I said, look, I got to make some money while I'm down here. So I opened up a business called Heavenly Air with another student. So we were doing airbrushing T-shirts. Gotcha. And we were charging them $5 a T-shirt. Now you're going back. That's like nothing. But yep. we were doing probably about 25 T-shirts a day. And I, I was going to say, back in those days, that was that was a bit. Listen, I, I, I've got a couple years on you. Not sure. too many. But I remember the days walking through Shoppers Village, the flea market. Yeah. Everybody had the station set up. And it was a huge business, whether it be on T-shirts Big or hats, business, yeah. sneakers, even the denim, the denim jackets. The, the yeah, whole, the we whole were doing all that. We were putting it on all those type of materials. Okay. Uh, we were getting some of the T-shirts were given to us from the students, so we were just doing it right in there. So really, we just had to supply our ink. Paint and time. That's it, right? So that did well. And then obviously, you know, I left school, uh, came back home, took off a year from school, and, and just decided to open up a bunch of businesses. And this was at the time now where the boom industry of online was okay. happening. Um, a good friend of mine, Rob Dreyer, um, he started a business called Gamebook which was a online social community for people who are video gamers. Kind of like when Facebook was happening, we did Gamebook. So this was around the time Facebook was Facebook was Facebook starting was to, start to explode right around then. And we saw an opening for ourselves to say, look, video games, there's no platform out there for it. Kind of like Twitch, but before Twitch. Kind of like Twitch, but okay. way before Twitch. So we're going back 2005 is when we came up with this. So 15 years ago. Right. Um, and we went to all of the Comic-Con type of conventions and, and promoted the actual game book itself. It was a, you had to enroll into the program. So you would go in there, you would go online, it was a membership, and you would pay $9.99, 12, all different levels. And we had thousands and thousands of people that were part of the membership. Uh, we looked into getting it sold to Nintendo. Nintendo was really big on the whole thing. Uh, but just one thing led to another, just it, the cards didn't fall in place for that. Uh, so I, I've had my experience early on to see the ups and you get it really quick yep. and then the downs, but you can't let that ever stop you. So I went back to college uh, seven years later. It took okay, me to, okay. to complete, took my time. Uh, I went to NYIT and studied computer graphics there. And it was just easy. You know, you're in the computer room, you're by yourself, really. It's it's like an individual type of thing. And it was something that you, you enjoyed doing as well, though. Yeah, you know, it wasn't, I don't know if I, at that time I knew it was something I enjoyed, but it was something I was really good at, and it just okay. came easy to me. So I just picked up programs. Let me ask you a question along those lines, because sure. a lot of people look at that and say, I enjoy what I do, but I'm I got to work really hard to be good at it, or right. I'm really good at something, but I don't enjoy it. Did you ever... Did that ever become a limitation for you, saying I love it, but I I, I love it, but I hate it? Kind of mentality. Had, did that ever help steer you in any direction that you went in? I don't know if it was a limitation. I think it might have maybe stopped me from pursuing other things at that time because I was young, immature, didn't really know exactly the path that was going to really happen at that time. So I was just kind of like taking the easy way out. Okay. And you know, at that time, I had a little bit of an ego. 
know, I, I didn't think anything could be of, uh, oh, it's what it is. That that was kind of like the mentality I had. Listen, a Long Island guy with an ego, that that's very rare, yeah, right? Yeah, Common here on Long Island, right? <laughs> and, yeah, I, I don't think it was a limitation. I just think that it, it definitely prohibited me to do maybe other things because I was kind of stubborn and said, oh, it's just easy. I'm going to do that. And it just comes natural to me. So were you a guy... And, and listen, we've all evolved, so it's okay. I'm okay admitting sure. it for me. Were you a guy who just just figured what's the easy path? Let's keep running full speed down that path and yes. see what happens. At that time, when I was in my early 20s, that was exactly the mentality that I had. That was probably the best the best mindset to have, yeah. and, and and I believe that today for people who are in there, you know, teens, college. Sure. College is not for everybody. No, I've, I've made not. it very clear. I dropped out more than I, I went to classes. Right. Um, Me included. I, I'm, I'm not an in-classroom student kind of person, right. but I'm obsessed with learning. Right. Um, so that's why I look at and say college isn't for everybody. Definitely and, not. Uh, if you go for the experience or you go specifically for an education, you know I think it's great. For the rest of us, you know, there might be a, there might be better solutions. I but, think I was what I was doing, Dean, was I was trying to make other people happy and not myself. Right, my, my father, who is a super smart man, has two master's degrees. You know, I, I think I was trying to make him happier for yep. me, saying, "Look, I'm going to college," so he could tell everybody exactly. my son's a college graduate. But that's not really who I was, yep. and I definitely paid the price for it because you know you have student loans that you have to pay later on in life. Right, so. Probably not the best. So, so you go into debt to feed the ego of your parents. I don't know if it was more of an ego. I think it's just it's an old school mentality that my father, who is a big educator, mm-hmm. he's a teacher. He just believed that would be the best path for me. Okay. But at the time, he wasn't really looking at my best interests gotcha. or what I had an interest in. I think as as parents, you know, I I don't know if you have if you have three kids. girls. Okay, nope. so yeah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I thought my four was interesting. Three of any one is a, is a lot. I've got yeah. two and two, uh, but I I think as parents, a lot of times we, it's kind of instinct for us to try to instill our will on our kids. And I what I love about how the world is evolving and changing with social media becoming something that exposes so many people for yeah. more of what they are, both good and bad. I, I think I look at it more and more like I've got, I've got my oldest one went two years. He's 30. Uh, my daughter's 26. She did four years, got a degree, the whole thing. We've got the, you know, paid, laid out all the money for sure. it. Uh, my next guy tried it, then ended up in vocational school. And now is a, is evolving into yet another career at 25 and I'm, I'm excited and happy for him. And then we got the 11 year old who she went from wanting to aspiring to be a Broadway star to realizing Broadway shut down and know oh, what the hell do right. I do to, I really do like kids and I want to teach. And I said, well, just do it. You're 11. Do right. what, do what you want. Just sure. continue yeah. to be good at it. So I, I love the thought of everybody running on that path and some falling off down the college lane, others falling flat on their face and getting trampled. Hello. You know, look, hey, look, it took me eight years to graduate college. It was yeah. not a short period of yeah. time. I was in no rush. And that's it. And and it's it's the beauty of being in your twenties. Yeah. You know, I think there comes a time when you get in your later twenties, and again, this is this is me being the dad saying that, all right, it's time to start to stop trying to discover yourself and do something. Right. Uh, as opposed to trying everything. But I love the fact that that more and more more and more young people today are really taking that that initiative to try so many different things. And it sounds like you did that, you know. A generation, a generation before, which is why I'm I'm loving where this conversation is going to go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think that was a big bonus for myself as I got older and later stages of my life. Not having those experiences probably would have not uh, put me where I am today. Yep. 
So there was good and bad from it. As any career you have, you're gonna have that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Any anything in general. So definitely the learning experiences were definitely there. And it, it gave me a chance to say, look, I can look back on those experiences and now apply some of those things I did learn, right. take some of those little nuggets of that stuff and, and use it today. So it's amazing how, how those, like you said, those little nuggets of success and or failure from a previous lifetime, yeah. all of a sudden one day just show up and boom, there it is. It's the ideal Corey, sorry about that. I know he hates when I snap my fingers and I do it all too often. Uh, <laughs> um, it, but it, but it really, they're, they're the kind of things that go in the memory bank and they just sit there forever until all of a sudden your subconscious says, we can refer back to that. Yeah. And wow, look at, look at the positive opportunities it creates for you. Definitely. Yeah. There's no question about that. So you go through college, you hustle your way, you're making some money along the way, you finish college. Yeah. So go from there. One year of University of Hartford, took some time off, wanted to make some money, came back, finished college, uh, and wasn't really sure what my path was going to be because after I graduated college, I kind of was lost, really. I was good at graphic design, good at computers, but you always hear the word, you don't have enough experience. You know, you got to do this. So I took some other classes, eight-week courses, 12-week courses to better myself, got certificates. At the time, there was something called Quark Express, which was a very big program back then. So I got certified as a Quark Express expert, took an eight-week course, and I finished it in three. So I was very good with computers, but every time that happened, another door closed. So you get used to that. Maybe this is just not for me. You know, the door closing, you, know, you might want to give up. It's right. that. But I never let that happen because I had that, that, even though I was stubborn, that stubbornness helped because it stopped me from giving up and pursuing okay. what I really wanted to do. Which is funny because sometimes you see that the, that you know you use the word stubborn and i think of i think of it a lot when i when i hear people talk about it you know you walk into the front door of a building and you're in one of those little porticos and then you're walking to the main door and you kind of feel like you're trapped between the two right when you get stuck do you regress or do you put your head down and go through and i think that defines it doesn't define people as good or bad but it does define people as which which option do you take are you going to step back and try to reroute or are you going to just put your head down and go through do you look at it as a success, a failure, an opportunity? Sure. And and I I like I have that visual in my head all the time when I look at it and say I'm kind of in between big ideas. All right. What do you do? And sometimes you just gotta. Sometimes you climb the wall. Sometimes you bang your head till you get through it. Sometimes you back up and say, Do I take a running start or do I just create another path? Right. And I I think that's what being an entrepreneur is all about is not having that fear of saying, Well, there's no path in front of me or being the trailblazer, creating your own path right? and, and pivoting constantly. Because I think as entrepreneurs, I think that's really one of the main job descriptions for us is somebody who can pivot quickly without losing sight of what's around them. That, that's, a, that's a good way of thinking yeah. about it. I think also that you have to be able to handle the highs and lows, yep. which is a, a big thing as an entrepreneur. Everyone always – so here's what I, I've taken from it over the, the period of time, and we'll just – Take a step back after what I was saying. You have to not be able to worry about the fears as an entrepreneur because there's going to be so much of that. So many different ones too. Yeah. And what I think is people fear success. They get nervous. They don't know what's going to be the next step when they become successful. So to me, I've told people that this constantly is you fear success. You don't want to be successful. You're comfortable being who you are now. But you see other people who are successful and say, oh, I want to be them. And all they see is that success. They don't see 
what you did to get to that. They don't see the road, the road that they don't that see the road, road you know, right. to steal the line from the book, that road less traveled. Correct. Because yeah. it's, it's easy to see, oh, wow, this person's on X, Y, and Z. I want to be them. I want to copy what they do. And I you can, can't. I There's can tell no... you so many stories that I've heard of people who, I'll, I'll try to keep this one as short as possible. I'm at a real estate conference. And there's one guy whose name I will not use because people in my industry may know who he was. Um, but we're in a room of about 200 people. And it was a, at an event where I actually sat on a panel and did, did some, some guidance for people. Uh, and I'm in the audience this time. And everyone's saying, I want to be like this. I want to be like Joe. I want to be like Joe. I want to be like Joe. And Joe just happens to be standing in the back corner of the room, kind of hidden in the shadows. And Joe gets a little bit ticked off at all these people saying, why? And comes right out and says, why the hell do you want to be like me? You don't know my story. Right. You see the success that, you know, the overnight success sure. that took 15 years of getting my ass kicked constantly, right. both professionally and personally. And Joe walks up on stage and talks about how he had a drug addiction problem, how he was in, abuse, in an abusive relationship, how he had an alcohol dependency. And nobody wants to look at that. Right. Now, granted, in quote-unquote Joe's case, he fell off a lot of paths and, and hurt, did a lot to hurt himself. Right. Uh, but, but that's kind of something, the extreme that I, I refer to people all the time to say, look at things like that, because you don't know what that person's story is. If you say, I want to achieve what somebody else achieved and use that as something to aspire you to move on to greatness, that's one thing. But to say, I want to be this person or that person, listen, I'm never going to be Michael Jordan. Right. Okay. I still, to this day, can't put a basketball in a hoop if you put me on a nine sure. and a half foot ladder. I'll still miss, you know, I put the bricks up all the day, all the time. You're not going to see me singing and dancing and, and getting on stage. I'm in the process of looking for a guitar to learn because my daughter's hounding me to play because she plays a ukulele and wants to play alongside. It's amazing what you do for your kids. It is. And yeah. I, listen, I play, believe it or not, and I, I'm not afraid to admit it anymore. I played an accordion for five years and I won awards doing that as a kid. Not the sexiest instrument in the world, but hey, you know what? It, it led me to here we are 40 years, 40 plus years later. Right. You know, I had a career as a DJ. I had a career as a sound engineer and recording studios. I love music. So right. I think that helped me develop my sure. love of music. And you'll pick it up. You know, look, when you have an interest in something, you'll pick yeah. it up. And, and yeah. listen, I, I, I don't need to be Eddie Van Halen or Carlos Santana. I want to play a couple basic chords. And I, I, told, I told my kid, I said, the one thing I want to learn how to play is a Bo Diddley beat. And she goes, what's that? And I was like, there we go. I just right. opened a new door for her. Right. And she's like, I get it. I don't like the music, but it sounds good. Right. Like, there we go. That's all that matters to me. So, exactly. all right, you're the guest. Come on, let's jump no, back fine. to you. Look, you know, I'm all about conversation. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's good. And that's, so, that's what this is. So, uh, as you said, you know, the big issue as an entrepreneur is people see that success and, and they want to know everything. I get all the time, what's your secret? Yeah. I hate that. There is no secret. It's called hard work, work your ass off. and not being afraid to have rejection. You know, you're going to get so many doors slammed in your face. Yep. And if you let that constantly be the reason to say, Oh, I give up. This is too hard. And you shouldn't have even well, thought then about you got a fear of work. Right. And, exactly. and that's all too common as well. And that's what I'm saying. It's the fear aspect. It's not, they fear all those different things. It's not the success. It's when they hear the success is coming. That's when they right. really fear it. Oh no, no. What's next? You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I might be. No, that's not the case. And, and that's that that's the, the clear difference between someone who's going to become a lifelong employee, which is not a bad thing. No, absolutely not. Or become an entrepreneur and maybe have some successes and have some losses. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure you you and I have a lot more in common that we our losses are our quote unquote failures 
outnumber our successes by multiples. Oh yeah, I could write ten books on failure. Exactly, <laughs> and only to only talk about one of them. Right, right. <laughs> ten chapters of the first failure. Right, exactly. The lessons I've learned from it. Right, um, but I I love the fact that like I, I'm always scribbling notes, and I know it's distracting for the guests sometimes. But oh. I'm just listening to what you say, and I'm writing bullet points. And you talk about fear, fear, fear. Is fear something that drove you, or is fear something that that pushed you? Pushed me. It did. Yeah, because I didn't fear it. I didn't have that in me. Is it a result of growing up in an Italian household? Actually, it's a mix. And I'll tell you, see, that's the thing, too, is I'm not 100% Italian. Neither am I. I'm yeah. far from it. My mom w was Jewish. Okay. Uh, my dad was Italian. So I was mixed household, and I was raised both ways. Um, I probably lean more towards the Italian side. Just, okay. I just felt more comfortable. Well, based on the hair and the T-shirt yeah. you're wearing today, <laughs> I would right. say the Italian right, 5149. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I felt more on, on that side. Um, but that that the real issue was me trying to grasp the fact that as I got older, I was going to have a lot of ups and downs because mm -hmm. I probably wasn't the most mature kid coming out of school. Um, and I was all over the place. Maybe I had a little ADHD somewhere that right. you know, I didn't know about. I'm trying to reel that in and trying to really focus was probably the toughest thing for me. So I don't think that fear was something I ever really thought about at that time. until I got older and I started to have more successful things happening, but also more of the rejection. Gotcha. So I think the fear aspect was something that came later in life. And I think that's what helped me to go further with my career because I didn't fear it. It happened already in my life. Right. So as I got older, that word didn't really resonate with me at all. It was just somewhere that was pushed to the side. Fear was just another stepping stone. It was just another stepping stone. Exactly. And like you said earlier, fear isn't necessarily, you know, perception becomes reality. If you look at fear as a negative, it will be a negative because like you meant, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned fear of success, yeah. fear of failure, fear of rejection. Yeah. You could look at any one of those three as a positive driving force or as a negative to, 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 to me, it was a driving to force. knock you down. Yeah. A lot of people might look at that and say, why, you know, why is that a, a driving force? And, and it's a, it's a really simple answer because I had that path set in mind. I said, look, nothing's going to get in my way no matter what. How many times I get rejected or, or said, hey, you know, you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that. You're getting too old. You got to really settle down. Was that focus. something that was instilled in you by your parents? Yeah. So, okay. So self-awareness and self-esteem was something that mom and dad definitely put the effort behind. To Not my it. mom. My mom was a quiet lady, okay. uh, but was fun to be around. Uh, she, she would watch TV shows with me late at night, Iron Chef and the Japanese version, gotcha. you know, all these crazy shows. And she always knew that I always wanted to be on TV. That was okay. something that since I was a little kid. So mom was more of the nurturer in the house. Yeah, yeah. And dad was the one who kind of. Dad was more of the old school mentality. We'll, you know. we'll call it inspiration. Yeah, I think that might be a. <laughs> I almost wore, I got a t-shirt that I bought because my, because my mom, I, I grew up with this, but I bought a t-shirt, it's a wooden spoon survivor. Sure. And when I wore it, my mom saw it. She absolutely lost it because I tell people all the time, my mom beat the hell out of me right. with a wooden spoon to the point where she'd crack him and then stab me with it. <laughs> that never happened. I, I was lucky. You know, he, on the other hand, I know my father did have that in, in his home where yeah. he came from. You know, they came from a strict Italian family. But where I was, I think it was just a mentality of, of him being strict with me. But also, he gave me kind of leeway on, on, on things. He knew I wasn't going to be the typical student, so he kind of left that hands off 
he knew I didn't study. You know, he that's he, a that's a big awareness thing coming from a parent. Yeah, you know? and I don't think that was easy for him because yeah. you know he's a teacher in the same school that I'm going to. Yeah, so that there could, was that could be some challenge. There was some stories that he had that people and teachers came yep. to him. Yeah, but it, it was all that together, all of that, those sayings and teachings and listenings from my family and parents. Um, it built a thick skin you know, as I got older. And, and it helped me now is when I transitioned to a completely different career. And I'll tell you what happened with that. So I worked in culinary school for, for five years. I was in charge of their continuing education program. We set it up. So you were still in the media world and just happened to be doing a job. Yeah. So nine 11 happened. Okay. And yeah, I, I, walk, walk me through how that, that yeah. transition so from one to the other. I worked happens. for post perfect from 2000 and, 2000-ish to, like, 2002, the beginning of February of 2002. Um, I came into work one day. We were in the old Daily News building, okay. beautiful building. You walk in, and there's the big world globe right in the middle of the floor, like, you know, you're like Superman type of stuff. Right. Um, came in to work that day. We were right uh, on the same floor as Jerry Delafamina, who okay. was probably one of the most well-known advertising yeah. executives in the world. Yeah, listen, we talk about marketing and advertising. I always talk about David Ogilvy, but Jerry, sure. Jerry Della Firmino was probably the next generation of the Mad Men. Yes, world. absolutely. You know, yeah, And if you study marketing, Jerry is definitely somebody to study. Chow-chow commercials. Yeah, I mean, you know, exactly. He, 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 he kind of geared towards what commercials were going to be in that period of time in, in the 90s. Um, so we were right on the same floor as him, and we had some dealings w- with Jerry when I was working at Post Perfect. And... Came into work one day, chains were on the door, and I was like, what's going on? And this is right after, a couple of days later, when everything happened in New York City with 9-11. Okay. I'll just never forget that day. I mean, walking off of Penn Station and coming up the stairs, um, you could smell everything in the city. Yeah. You could smell burnt skin and hair, and this is right on 8th Avenue. So you know how far away you are from downtown you're 30 you're 30 blocks north at least and right. a couple and a couple blocks just a couple and you blocks could see east, the yeah. sky it was just a, a, like what's happening in san francisco yeah. right now where it's that orange sky but it was that haze yeah i i that made color. that exact reference to somebody i was talking to the other day a friend of mine's out in out in california uh in as what's affectionately referred to as facebook country uh and we were talking about it and they all know some of my stories from 9-11 fortunately i wasn't in the city um on on that day because i was so immersed in my real estate business right. i was actually heading east but i watched it in my rearview mirror uh and we were talking about it and she she called me and she's like does this remind you of anything and yeah. i said she, I, I said just change the color it it looks the same it's it's exactly disturbing but it was just hard to explain the smell to i mean i i've yet to get rid of that yeah. to this day yeah it, it, every time i see you know the nine eleven tributes or anything it just it's an emotional mm-hmm. period of time and mm-hmm. So I came to work, and, and the chains were on the door. They shut down the place. They had 1,000 employees. It was the number one post-production company in New York City. They did all of the big, you know, from they were doing SpongeBob, SquarePants. Uh, they did A Beautiful Mind, the okay. movie. Uh, they were doing stuff for the Food Network. The list just kept on going. They owed money to the IRS. They weren't paying after what happened with 9-11. They couldn't do it. They right. just They got really messed up bad and their clients were coming in from other states flying in at that time nobody can fly people were scared yep. they didn't want to travel yep. right so 
they were done. I was done. And I was new in the industry. I had like a year plus of experience, not counting the internship I did for them. And I didn't know what my direction was going to be. So welcome to the bottom. Now get out. Yeah. yeah. So I was 25 years old. I had a child on the way and I was unemployed for the first time in my life. And I was definitely deflated and rejected and mad and, and everything you could possibly think of angry. And my wife said, just put something on indeed. So I threw something up on, on, on indeed. It was actually monster.com also. Yep. And uh monster reached out to me from Catherine Gibbs school. In, okay. And, uh, I was in Melville. Catherine Gibbs was, secretarial school secretarial right. school right but what they started doing at that time was they were introducing new programs they were bought out by career education corporation okay which is a major for-profit you know they're kind of like the phoenixes of, of the world the right. university of phoenix right. um strayer like that so that this was at the time now the boom of the for-profit education industry where adults mm -hmm. go back to school they can get their degree in two years right finish their education or reinvent themselves reinvent with a new themselves one. No. get a skill trade Catherine Gibbs started doing that. They were no longer a secretarial school. Right. They got rid of those programs. They introduced traditional type of degree programs, graphic design, criminal justice, okay. um, business administration, but they had more of the concentrations where you learn marketing, things like that. So it was kind of vocational school, but on more of a corporate level. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So that main goal was to get you after you graduated gotcha. school. And I, I got a job there working as a missions representative. And I did that for five years and I was really good at it. I was a top salesperson and that helped me because I was trained by some of the best sales minds in the country. You know, they, they sent us down to Chicago. We went to Hoffman Estates and we were trained by all of the top people in the industry, you know, teaching about WIFM and reverse psychology yeah. of selling. You know, we learned all of that. I, 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 I'm smiling as you're saying this because I, I've said, Sale, basic sales training skills. Yes. Uh, two things I wish more primary schools would teach. Financial responsibility, the, ba the basics of interest and mortgage and things like that for kids. Because right. I, I, don't think, I don't think enough of them have any kind of awareness of it. I never had it when I was and, younger. And yeah. basics. Uh, listen, I grew up son of a banker. Right. And, you know, balancing a checkbook. My father was a business law teacher. Yeah. And he taught economics. <laughs> Introduction to occupations yeah. what he taught in high school. But it's it's that. that Accounting. Basic that basic math that has to do with finances, so right. that so that kids and children could learn some financial responsibility at a younger age, or at least financial awareness, uh, and basic sales training skills. And I really think if if the school system would add just a hint of those two things to their core curriculum, graduating high school would put so many more people in a position to find victories in a short. Not that we're looking for a quick fix. But it would it could definitely clear the path to what can I look for, and it'll create that open mindedness. Just knowing the Long Island school system, there's too many politics involved. Oh well, that's that that's just, an episode that could take us a month yeah, to record. I just don't see that happening anytime soon. Not to say it's never going to happen. I I agree with you 100. percent But I just don't see that happening. What, what is yet. happening and what will happen and what I believe should happen are very different things. Yes, but. You know, I I learned years ago. I I started reading all of Robert Kiyosaki's books, Rich Dad Poor Dad, sure. and, and the Cash Flow oh. Quadrant. And as I did that, I realized how broken the education system was in this country. And I read that book twenty plus years ago. It's also the college system too. It's not just it's, uh, it's high the school. education system. Period. Yeah. You know, college is a for profit business. Yes, uh, and it's just because 
And it's funny that you mentioned that, and that's where we'll get to that. Go so, ahead. So I was working for a for-profit education company. That's what they were labeled as. Traded on Wall Street, stockholders, you know, you had to make sure. The pressure was unbelievable. I didn't know what I was getting into. You know, I was 25 years old, needed a career. This was a great opportunity. My starting salary was $40,000. You're getting paid. That's all that it was mattered. great. They were giving you commission, right, as well. And you had an opportunity to earn $200,000 a year. And at that time, that was great. And that's exactly what I was doing at that time. I was a top salesperson. We were getting quarterly bonuses based off of EBITDA. You know, these were great things that we were learning. I was learning. I was new to this type of industry. First time I've ever had a corporate environment role since I was working in Post Perfect, which was really not corporate. It was more a creative corporate. Right, you were in a corporate. You were in a corporate company, but you were yeah. on the creative side. Yeah, they were kind of you know trendy and, right. and more casual. This was business minded. Right, the suits left you creative suits, guys. Yeah, left you creative guys down in your exactly. Country. So it was a three sixty. I yep. jumped right into something completely different. Wearing a suit and tie every single day. You know, work until 10, 11 o'clock at night. You know, that's what we did because I was working in the high school market. Okay, so we they introduced that bringing in high school kids who are not the traditional college molded. So your students. job was to find everybody who wasn't going to a four-year college or the military and say, hey, you've got to do something with your life. We're an open door for yes, you. Yes, that's exactly I love it. We, we dealt with the military, though, also. We had an actual military recruiter that worked in the school for the people that could not cut the actual testing on the military gotcha. testing, which was the ABS-FAB the testing. The, test, yep. the people that failed that, they would come here. And so the recruiters would then pass these non-recruitable military people back. They had to the you inside guys. info. They had the inside knowledge. Interesting. Of that stuff. Interesting. So we would find that out and we'd be all over that. You know, these were hawks all okay. over the place yep. now, right? And we were doing cold calling, you know, smiling and dialing, you know, all the things that you've probably heard in, in the sales world, yep. right? Oh, yeah. Never heard that before. This was all new to me. Listen, I was embedded in the Zig Ziglar world for a very long time. Right, exactly. Smile and dial, get up. <laughs> My nickname was High Speed because okay. I would make 400 phone calls, 500 phone calls in a day and not stop, just keep going until I reached my numbers and we would have enrollment numbers and there was thresholds and everything like that. You know, it was a completely different industry. It was guerrilla marketing yeah. that they were doing. Yep. You know, they would, someone would go online looking for a handbag and pops up a little, you know, bubble there and they wouldn't let you get off the bubble. You had yeah. to put your information yep. in and they would do this and we would get that over there. We'd have to convert those leads into at least getting them into the school. And they were really good at that. And then they hired high school uh, uh, high school recruiters that would go in, they would demonstrate in the high schools, and they would get the lead cards, and they okay. bring it back to us. It's it's I, I just I'm I'm listening to your story, and it's like you're you've got the best and worst of the old school sales world, mm -hmm. but I see so many because at the time you're doing it, I'm listening to the names that you mentioned out there and guerrilla marketing and all the other things, and I'm like, you you got heavy into the sales world during what became a very tr transitional time in sales yes. in my opinion we went from very old school like you're talking about lead cards and you know yeah. the glenn gary glenn ross we need the leads yeah that's exactly the mentality and, was and now you know how we but how you went through digital and 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 electronic and the conversion but how, like you get somebody on the computer and you're talking we had about both, the bubble we had I'm both. You, you had both and yeah. it, it must have been really interesting to look at from from that perspective um well they had we're they watching had... we're watching two we're watching the best of an old generation with technology coming in, and is the tech going to break it or is it going to evolve it? It enhanced it. Oh, the, uh, 
but, but I'm saying that there must have been some kind of concern. If I didn't know from though. the outside looking in. Yeah, yeah, someone that was green and, and new to learning all this, I didn't right. realize it was that. there, which means it was what it was. It supposed was there, to be. yeah. So I was following what they just installed in us. You know, we were we was sent down to train in Chicago at Career Education's headquarters for two weeks. They they taught us all of the tricks of the trade. Right. I mean, these are the top people. These guys know they've built businesses, uh, and. We got down there. It was just it was a, an eye opener of watching it. I was so excited. I yeah. was like a kid in candy store because it wasn't traditional education. It, it was something that I was more comfortable with. Yep. Because I wasn't stuck in the class. I can get up. You know, we would role play, yeah. talking like this. Yeah. You know, the first time we got down there, I didn't have any sales knowledge like some of those other people did. They sent me down there right away before I was two days into working at Catherine Gibbs. A lot of those people were sent down there to train. They were there for six months, eight months. So they, they saw something in me right away. I got down there and they we role played with the top executive, me and him. And they started asking questions to me about, I was just going with the fly, ad living. You had no idea. Not realizing it, you're a natural born salesperson. Not realizing that's, that. That's a great I did not skill. know I was natural born yeah. at it. You know, it was yeah. something that just, I guess, again, you learn certain skills and th certain things you're gifted at, you might not know. Right. But you have to give certain things a shot yep. and try. And it's it again. It's you know you're you're a slightly older version of today's millennial. Sure. That those who those who try and and have that open mindedness find so many opportunities to succeed. Yeah, and and but more importantly, they find the opportunity to create the definition of success for themselves. Well, that's exactly what you're, you're definitely hitting on. I'm getting. I'm going to get to that 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 point. So I was there for five years, fast forward, won a lot of awards, top salesperson, you know, sent on trips to all these cool places, you know, got a lot of, a lot of money was given to us. And then the state started regulating everything, New York state. They took away the commissions. They started making things tougher. Uh, some of the sales tactics we did were looked upon as being illegal, right? Illegal or unethical? Illegal. They because started arresting people. This is around the same time as the whole Wolf of Wall Street thing is happening Correct, in real right. life. Okay. Yeah. Because remember now what was happening is you have stockholders, yep. right? So they're inflating the numbers gotcha. in, in okay. a sense, a lack of better terms. So you've got you've got the FCC and everybody else watching your They're every watching movie. the schools, they're watching everything that's going on. And I kind of smelt something just was not right. I got out. Okay. I, gotta, I just didn't want to be around when the, the place crashed. Uh, about a year later, Catherine Gibbs went under. Okay. Uh, they became Sanford Brown. Oh, all right. I didn't realize that. Yes, okay. Sanford Brown. So they, they merged their schools at Sanford Brown. Um, and that lasted, I was there for like six months during that, that transition. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't feel right now. Everything is changing. All of the, the ways they're doing their sales, completely different direction. And, and I just left. I said, you know what? Uh, my director of admissions, he left and he called me up a few months later. Cause I, I was again, unemployed, not sure what I wanted to do. He says, John, come with me. I, I'm working at a, a culinary school. You're working at culinary school. Oh, interesting. I'm building a team. I need someone like you. Okay. I said, all right, I'll come down. And we had a good relationship, me and him. So we took a school that was suffering. This was now culinary Academy in Syosset. Right okay. next to uh, Tom Shadle's restaurant, he sold he sold it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, 
We were just talking it about... It wasn't Jewel. No. Uh, we were just I can't talk, believe I forgot we were just the name of him. Coolfish. Coolfish. And we, he was right down that little alley right there. And Culinary Academy was there for a few years prior. But the school was going bad. They were doing really bad. The numbers were sinking. Culinary wasn't being looked at at the time, I guess, as a career that people wanted to. What, what year is this, roughly? Uh, 2009. Okay. Uh, 2000, yeah, 2009. This was in the summer of, two, of 2009. Um, so we, we built the program up. They were minus 20 when I got there on, on their numbers for admission, uh, enrollments. We got there in less than six months. We turned it to a plus 40. Okay. That's unbelievable now to, to do that. Um, and that was me and one other representative that we turned turn that around. And, you know, again, it was something that I was just naturally gifted as bringing people in, listening to them. That is a key thing in this industry is listening, seeing their weaknesses and showing how those weaknesses, we can convert those into something that could be a success. And mm-hmm. that's, that's where now I started thinking about how fear is what people are using because when they see that success, it's fear of success. Yep. And that's how I started thinking about that. This is now starting now in my 25, 26 range. And that's when it started really resonating with me. Uh, it was there for about five years, and they started making a lot of changes to school. Um, they became just something I didn't see myself being there for longevity. And after doing admissions for 10 years and having great success, there was really nowhere else I could go. And unfortunately, unless I wanted to run the school, which I didn't see myself doing. Okay. You know, I was more on the education side. I, I didn't want to get involved with that, being a, a president of a school. Gotcha. So my wife saw me one day come home, and I was deflated, not happy, sitting there with a nice cold beer in my hand, and she said, quit. I said, what? She flat out said to me, quit. And I didn't know what she meant by that. Did she say it because you were having a conversation about it? Or no, she just, I just came she just home, saw it happening. 11 o'clock at night, you know, we had our second child was just born. And I was sitting there in, in my recliner, just drained. My mental state was gone. Because we were constantly ripped apart by the corporate executives. You know, constantly saying, you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. Meanwhile, they're not giving you resources. But they want to, as you know, the corporate mentality is get we'll more, give you little and we want more. Get and, more blood from the stone. Right, which is the worst way to think, you know. Oh, sorry. It's the worst way to think. So I, I was just drained from that and sitting there, and she's like, just quit. So I, I looked at it. I was, couldn't figure out what she meant by that at first. And I said, you mean quit, like leave my job, leave our career? You know, it's comfortable. I got to do what I have to do to to take care of you guys. You know, it's well on Long Island. It's, yeah, it's, it's not cheap here. No, to work quit <laughs> does not exist, right? right? You know, if we had like a, a studio somewhere else, maybe we're in like Texas somewhere or Tennessee. Right. You know, maybe we might yeah. be able to cost, escape. Cost of living here is a little bit on the steep end, yeah. to put it mildly. So she said to me again a second time, quit. I'm tired of hearing you complain about how you're not happy. I said, complain. She goes, you could see it on your face. It's not you saying it. It's me looking at it. You're not happy with what you're doing. I said, what should I do? I'm stuck in a, a rock and a hard place here, right? I'm good with art. I'm good with sales. Where do I go? She goes, you need to be in entertainment. That's what you are really suited for. So it was my wife who saw the door for me I love to it. get involved with that, right? She is definitely the biggest supporter I have. 
And I said, well, how do I get involved in something? She goes, you always tell me that don't use how. Do it. So I'm like, all right, you're right. So I listened to her advice. Woke up the next day and she goes, Jonathan, Master Chef is auditioning in New York City. I said, really? So this now I saw the audition. I think it was September 30th is when she saw it. And the auditions were on the first. Literally. I literally had two days to prepare. Okay. Right? Which is great because I love working under that type of pressure. Right? It gives me more of a sense of getting something done. It forces you to focus. Forces you to focus. Right. Again, maybe that's where the ADHD falls into place yep. somewhere. And put together a, a quick dish because you don't cook there. Everything is plated and you're showing what okay. you've made. You got three minutes to do that there. Okay. So I, I put in the videotape. I filled out the application that night. The next day, I get a phone call from production. They want me to come down for a VIP audition. And you had no experience in the hospitality business at this point? Uh, just opening up the restaurant with my dad in the early 2000s after okay. after 9-11. We had that for a couple of years. Gotcha. Uh, okay. I left that little part out. Okay. Um, that was really it. I messed around working for Auntie Anne's pretzels for but a little bit. But you're not a trained chef no. at, at this point. This no. is something that you, you were a passionate home cook. I was really good at cooking. You know, I picked it up fast. No classic training. You know, okay. took some classes at NYIT when I was over there. Um, you know, like knife skills, and I took an international cuisine class. But I don't have a degree. Okay. I've never worked for Michelin star chef before. You know, I know who I am as a chef. I've been labeled that. I'm a really good cook. It's, okay. It's a marketing term. Yeah, right? and, and and don't yeah. and please don't take oh, it as I'm a taking, knock. I'm, no, I'm 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 trying to see did we miss anything along the path? No, not so at all. So really this is just a guy who grew up likes food, put some time and effort into becoming the best version of what you chose to be. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I it, and good enough. Yeah, so I took the audition, went down on the VIP audition, pouring rain out. We got the Double Tree Hotel. I mean, it was when I say pouring Again, I had the hair like this. So just imagine now, I got there. I had to slick it back. Instead. The hair's falling down. I'm like, oh, my God, you're killing me here. This is my brand, right? <laughs> so I, I get down there. It was just buckets of rain. And we're outside chanting, and the cameras are everywhere. Um, I was fourth in line. So I got there at 6 in the morning, took a, a 5 o'clock train out of Belmore, okay. got down to Penn Station, and just jetted to Doubletree in, in Times in Square. Times Square. Just jetted this. I, I literally got there from the house, just finished making the stock. I made a chicken marsala soup, made it that night. So it was still hot because they always say, oh, well, the temperature doesn't matter. This is yeah. what the production said. We don't care, but that's not, that's, I kept on saying, that's not true. It's not the same. You want to eat cold food. It's going to change the complexion of everything, yep. right? So I got down there. We played it, got number fourth in line, and they put you in a giant ballroom. The ballroom has literally 20 people in it. There's probably about 10,000 people online to audition that day. Wow. In the rain, too. So there probably would have been yeah. more if it wasn't raining. And, and this is this is early on in MasterChef. Yeah, years. this was 2014. So this is one of the earlier seasons of the show. It's just Season start, six. Yeah, so it's it's caught on. It's becoming yeah, a I, th- I don't even know thing. what they're on. I think they're on 10 or 11. I, I think, yeah, somewhere. Yeah. They're definitely in double digits. Yeah. Uh, Audition, got up there, and 
It's a big big ballroom, you know, like you know your typical type of thing, kind of like American Idol, how they set that yep. whole thing up. Yeah. So we we have tables that are lined up. It's kind of like a U shaped table that they put. Everyone's nervous, and people are bringing coolers full of food. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> like you, you're catering something here? <laughs> Me, I have my little backpack, my Jansport backpack with a thermos, military thermos to keep the right the stock hot, the soup hot, and just a little tin foil wrapped up with the chicken breast. And then on the other side was the onions that weren't cut. You're allowed to cut there. Okay. And that was it, right? Really simple. The mushrooms were already separated and ready to go. And we just plated it. I plated everything in less than 45 seconds, right? I love Sitting it. there. People are pulling out all these things, again, really fancy with tweezers and everything. I'm like, have you watched these TV shows? 99% of it is personality. Yeah. You know, how many times do you actually see how much cooking is happening? It's not. They want the drama aspect, right? So they come around, and one of the people from production starts asking you a bunch of questions, personality questions. We know, what was the scariest thing you've ever done? What was the riskiest thing you've ever done? I told them I've skydived before. And they just went down the line. Then there's another person supposed to be an expert in the food, one of the culinary okay. people, comes over and tastes your food. He says to me, You're, you didn't skim the top of the chicken fat off of your, your broth. I was like, I left it there because I'm giving flavor. If you know from a Jewish household, we leave the fat on. Right. He looked at me and goes, what? He didn't know what to do because yeah. I stumped him. Yep. Right. He goes, well, next time just skim it off. I was like, no, I'm leaving it. It's my That's how we do flavor. it. That's yeah. my flavor. You're not going to take my flavor away. So he put that down, wrote that down. Everyone's looking at me like, why'd you do that? That's like bad. I'm like, no, it's not. It's good. It's bad for you. It's right. not for me. Good for me. <laughs> so they, they call everyone's number. You have numbers now. I was 123. They call it numbers. If we don't call your number, unfortunately, that doesn't mean you're not selected today. If we decide down the line, we'll give you a call. Right. So people crying. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. Right. They call my number and the six other people. And as I'm walking out of the room, one of the people from production goes, Argue with the judges. I look, argue with the judges. Are the judges here today? That's what I'm thinking. Right. right? He's like, just argue with the judges. I was like, all right. That, that shouldn't be too hard, I guess, right? So they bring you into another room now with the other seven people. And now you have to re-audition all over again. But this time there's no food. Now they're going to ask you questions. And they line everyone up on a, on a line. There's an X mm -hmm. on each spot. Camera like this looking straight at you. And then they have... Two, I think it was two people. Yeah, it was two people from the actual production. Now, at the time, I didn't know who it was, right? Okay. But to fast forward, it was the executive producer of the show. We didn't, I didn't know that until I was down in Los Angeles. But she was there, uh, Yasmin, who was the main person on that season, uh, along with the director of the show, Robin. Okay. So you had the two main people. No one knew that, right? It's a good. It's a good way. It's a good way to it's audition. A good way to audition, right? We didn't know that, and they asked a bunch of questions. Fast forward, uh, they gave me and two other people our golden ticket, and we walked out of the room, and everyone's clapping. I didn't know people were standing out there, were right. left off the door, kind of like that American yep. Idol type of thing. And then you have to come back two days later to audition again. So now you're getting your screen test. Okay. So they bring you to another hotel. You're in a small little room, literally maybe like a ten by ten like little studio in one of the hotels and now casting 
is there from the show. They have the Master Chef backdrop yep. that you, you're sitting, and they're asking you a bunch of questions, and they're making your package to give to the executives down in Hollywood. That was like maybe 20 minutes long. They said, thank you, we'll let you know. And then as I'm walking out, she goes, she whispered like that. I was like, I know. <laughs> so I said, I know. It, it, there's something. To, there's something to be said for that. So. Right. And and as as I'm leaving, uh, she said, we'll we'll email you. That that's how we work. Right. So everything is done by email. It's very rapid and quick. Uh, so but it just seems like forever. Well, it was because it was a four month audition <laughs> yeah. process, Dean, to be on. It's show. amazing. Four months from from October to January is the process. Wow. Went through the whole process, psychological exams, more screen tests, sending in videos to them, pictures, blah, blah, blah. They said, we'll let you know. We'll let you know very soon. Two weeks come by, and my wife's like, don't worry, you're going to get picked, right? Now I'm starting to second guess myself a little bit. Two weeks before Christmas, we get another email that we had to fill out a release. So now I knew you're down to the wire that I was down to the wire. And right after Christmas, the day after Christmas, they sent an email saying, congratulations. You've been selected as one of the top 100 to come down to audition again. Okay. okay. Down in Los Angeles. So we had literally like a week plus to prepare. Cause they had us out on a plane right after new year's pretty wow. much. We had to go down there. But in that period of time, I knew I was going to be gone from my family for a, a long period of time. So what I did was I made videos. So I had three young kids, right? And I made videos for them. So each day they could open up a video and, and see me and, and, and talk to me, mm-hmm. uh, which was great because that helped them throughout. Right. Because I was gone three weeks with no contact with them. Yeah, that's got to that's gotta be tough. It was tough, yeah. And and you are locked. You are kind of locked down that whole time. That's Yeah, you're sequestered, really. So, you know. You get down there. They transferred us to two hotels when we were down there. Um, TMZ found out that we were in one of the hotels, and they locked us down in a hotel for six hours. We weren't allowed to leave, go to the bathroom. We were stuck in a hotel. Um, it, it was it was crazy. It was, it was it was an experience that I learned a lot from getting to see production and how they did things so rapidly and and quick and you know picking the minds of all the people at work there. They were really cool. The, the crew that you worked on master chef, right. You, know, you can ask them any questions that they were really cool people. So, you know, that was a, a positive cause I ask a lot of questions and not everyone is receptive to yep. that, you know, yep. but I was picking the minds and trying to figure out what's going to happen. Okay. So at, so you're, you're deeply embedded in being a contestant on a show right now. Right. Is that the only place your mind is or because yes. I'm, I'm listening? Okay. Yeah. That's all I was thinking. Was is how do I move on to the next show, to the next episode to the next episode? Okay. But I knew also at the same time it was story driven, right? Yeah. When we were down there, and we were auditioning for that first week, the top one hundred people that they invited down from all different eight different states, you could tell who was not going to make it right away. You know, some people were just so nervous they couldn't stop; they were they were shaking, right. just sitting still yeah. in, in a seat. Right? They put us all in the ballroom and one hundred people, so you got to like see everybody. You know, they were testing the waters. Right, because you be, you're, you're, you're no longer just a contestant on a show. You're on-air talent. Yeah, you're money for them. Yeah. You know, your ratings, yep. right? So they want to put the best story package together possible. Um, and right away, I started writing. I, I had a little journal. I was keeping track of every single thing that went down that period of time. 
names I can't mention, but there's right. some really cool stories, which I'm developing. I'm going to hopefully down the line, do something with that and maybe nice. put a book out. Probably make a lot of people not happy about that. <laughs> you know? Especially the reality TV again, world. But, again, a guy from Long Island who knows yeah. how to piss people off. Gee, that's rare. I guess that's a, a good trait <laughs> that I have. Right. Um, uh. So I was watching all that happen and, and, and fast forward in a nutshell, we had, we had a very rapid pace that we had to follow. I mean, we were up at five o'clock in the morning every day, got to the studio in Burbank. We were on the Disney lot, which was a lot of fun. Cool. And we moved through that very fast. And unfortunately I didn't go as far as I, I expected to go, but it's TV and you know, you have to, it's a learning aspect. And I was going to take that as an opportunity to roll that into a business. And that's the entrepreneurial mind kicking in again. So phase two, you go through MasterChef, you go through that whole experience. You're, you're watching and observing a lot of things, paying attention on how to be a good contestant. But I'm, I'm hearing a lot of the things that you're talking about that my gut says you've kind of taken a lot of that experience and your education and how to be a better contestant has helped you evolve into the next phase of, of your, your professional life. Correct. Fair assessment. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Before I left, I told my wife that we were going to turn this into a business no matter what. Okay, so you so you had a plan in place. We had a plan in place. Let let me just take a quick step back. How long after your wife said quit did the whole MasterChef thing start? Two weeks right okay. after that. So, so I was at unemployed for a couple of weeks. So safe to say, there there are times in your life where a little bit of luck is, has has played into it for you, which is not a again. Not I don't a bad, consider it luck. I think that I, certain exact- things timing. Has a lot to do yep. with where you're supposed to be positioning yourself and luck how you no, Luck is nothing more than preparation for the yeah. opportunity. So I don't, I don't use the word luck to be demeaning. As I think the only thing that's luck is you scratching off a lottery ticket. You have no control. Fair, fair way to look at it. I, I was a poker player for a long time, and I looked at it, and I studied a lot of the guys who played, and they said the same thing. Luck is nothing more than a prepar- the work you're willing to put yeah. into for that moment to show up. Like we said earlier, the overnight success that takes 30 years. Right. People only see the trigger action. Correct. They don't see all the, all the behind-the-scenes stuff. That's it for part one. Thanks so much for tuning in. Listen up, pay attention, go subscribe so that you can be notified when next week's episode we dive into part two where we get even deeper into this great conversation. Thank you so much.